This morning, um, as we follow on looking at Peter's life, uh, we've moved quite rapidly now when we look at the significant uh, parts of his story. We move right now into the last few days of Jesus' life. And we're going to move into the upper room where an event takes place that I think is very, very profound in respect to how we live the Christian life. And I've called this talk this morning the towel. The towel because it is so powerful in the way that Jesus uses this simple piece of cloth, this simple piece of material to define what it is that he is about as a leader and the example that he gives us as to how we should demonstrate servant leadership in the world around us, the towel. And so without any further ado, let's uh, jump into the scripture. We're in the upper room and the disciples are gathering now for what we will know as being uh, the Last Supper. This is the Passover meal that is celebrated by the Jewish community every year. And so they're gathered here. The disciples are coming into the room and Jesus takes on the role of a servant. Let's, let's read from this. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So here's Jesus demonstrating to the disciples what servant leadership looks like. Now, what you've got to look at in this, in this story is that um, Jesus makes this foot washing experience a very up close and personal encounter with him. Uh, you'll notice that he's wearing a towel. That's what the scripture says. He's wearing a towel around him. So we can imagine it sort of wearing like, like, like men might wear a beach towel. Uh, but instead of having a towel to wash and, wa and dry people's feet in his hands, he takes somebody's feet and he seems to bring them really close to his body because he's using the towel, that last line says, that's wrapped around him to dry their feet. And so it's very personal. It's very up close. And it's a way in which Jesus is displaying his love, uh, his kindness, his consideration to those who have been his disciples now for over three years. He would have known these men uh, in a very, very special way and grown to know them and love them in a way that uh, only God can. But uh, this was a, a customary practice, the washing of people's feet. When we first read this, we think, wow, what a cool thing to do that somebody would spontaneously wash somebody's feet as an act of kindness. But within the Jewish community, Washing somebody's feet was a very normal everyday practice, particularly when you invited somebody to your home, you would ensure that when they came into your home, uh, the dirt on their feet was washed. They would have been clean, but because of the nature of travel in the day, uh, you walk down dusty roads and you turn up at somebody's home and your feet were dirty. Uh, let's just pick up on a, another story that had impacted uh, Jesus and his disciples some time prior to this event. It was when Jesus was invited to be a guest to eat a meal with the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And as he's eating this meal and talking with them, a woman comes in. In tears, she breaks perfume over Jesus, anoints him with this perfume, this oil, and then proceeds to wash his feet with her hair, wetting his feet with her own tears. And it's an incredibly powerful story. But the irony of all of this is that it's completely lost 
on those who are uh, who, who are hosting Jesus at the time, the Pharisees, because they turn to Jesus and they say, if you really knew who this woman was, you wouldn't allow her to do this because she was a woman of a bad reputation, potentially a woman who was a prostitute, potentially someone who maybe had a number of wives who were unsure, but she was certainly right down the end of the social ladder. And as she came in, she had done this incredibly kind act to Jesus as a a way of showing love for him and also as a sign of repentance for what it is that uh, she had done to sin before God. So here is this disturbing picture, disturbing in a really positive way, but disturbing nonetheless. And Jesus confronts Simon, the host, the Pharisee, confronts him about his response to this woman doing this. So let's just have a look at that. Then he, that's Jesus, turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. So this is a woman showing her great appreciation. The custom was to give oil to somebody's hair, to greet them with a kiss, to wash their feet. That was what was tradition. Now, whether you did that yourself or whether you had a servant do it, um, that was entirely up to you. But that was the custom. Jesus appears as if he walks into this room to dine with these religious leaders and they had a very flippant attitude towards him, didn't show the customary um, practices of a good host. And so here we are facing uh, with, with these disciples in the upper room, the same scenario, but this time Jesus is, Jesus is the one who's serving, which is a real flip, isn't it? on what we, we know as being tradition in respect to the one who is the greater is often served by the one who is deemed to be the least. But Jesus turns this on his head. As the leader, he now becomes the first servant and he leads by example to allow us to see what it means to be a Christian and a Christian leader and a Christian servant. And so we've got to look at this and, and remind ourselves that this is actually a battle. To be a servant is to be in a battle. Because our human nature, by nature, will demand to be served, not to serve. Isn't that true? It's just something, we're born this way. There's something about it. You know, even as a little one-year-old, you're, you're beating your little table there, demanding that mum has your attention. Yeah? I uh, was talking to our daughter the other day. Just, I was in Auckland a couple of weeks back, and, and she said about uh, her son, Jimmy James, who... Um, now 14 months, and Melissa said, oh, you know, first year or so, we realize that we're just raising this child, raising a baby, but now we have to start parenting him because he's getting more demanding. You know, he has a tantrum when he doesn't get my attention or if he doesn't like the food, et cetera, et cetera. And she said, how do I stop him being center of the world? And uh, I said, oh, it's really simple. Have another baby. That's <laughs> 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 a granddad for you, you know? We just want heaps of grandchildren. 
But it's true though, isn't it? As soon as you have another baby, that child becomes second place, you know, and they learn the reality of what world's all about. But it is a spiritual battle. And when we sing songs like we did in the first part of this talk, uh, first part of the service this morning, and we're using lines like, break every chain, break every chain, um, we can easily externalize that as being something that's being put upon us. But the battle is within, and the chains that bind us when it comes to Christian service are ones that are within us. There are issues like, like ego and uh, the way that gets in the way of us. So um, let's just remind us, though, of where this journey has come for the disciples, for them to see Jesus acting in this way as a servant is a complete contradiction to the battle that the disciples were going through. Because when they first hooked up with Jesus, they thought they were onto a really good thing. They were just looking for this reflected glory that came from hanging out with this great miracle man, this great teacher. And so very early on, these disciples thought, we're in on this and this is going to really help us because we're going to uh, be able to become somebody by being close to Jesus. Let me remind you of um, what the two brothers, James and John, uh, said to Jesus. And I love the way they presented this to him. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Do you like that? That's really humble, isn't it? What do you want me to do for you? He asked. And they replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. <laughs> You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Okay, now of course they go, oh yeah, we can. The story continues on. But here's two guys. Now, I can only imagine them sitting around a campfire, 12 disciples there, and uh, they cuddle up next to Jesus and say, can we have the best spots? You know, I mean, seriously? That's the height of arrogance, eh? Even in front of these other friends of theirs and disciples of Jesus, they somehow felt they were worthy of being at Jesus' right and his left when he comes into his glory. In other words, when you get glorified, we want the stardust to spill off you onto us and we'll be right there next to you, left and right. We'll cover you. But they're looking to be covered in his glory. So fascinating insight, isn't it? These guys have got a long way to go as far as putting their egos in check. Okay, maybe they missed the Sermon on the Mount. We don't know. Maybe they were too busy puffing themselves up. And they missed the part where uh, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus had another parable, very similar to this uh, story. Uh, went like this. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the process, sorry, in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, when you look around New Zealand society and we talk about this idea of eating together and, and the like, the Polynesian community do this whole thing of um, uh, honouring people in a really, really spectacular way, don't they? A friend of mine, Ed, is pastor in Auckland. Um, <clears throat> he's, uh, he's part Samoan, part Norwegian. And... Um, no, sorry, part Rarotongan, part Norwegian. And uh, he got invited to take a funeral for a, for a Samoan. 
And so he took the funeral, and then after the, uh, the committal at the grave, he spent quite a long time talking to family and everything. And then he got invited to go back to the church for a meal. And so he just slowly took his time, wandered back, stopped at the uh, shop, grabbed a few things, turned up, hundreds of people were waiting for him, right? They weren't prepared to start the meal until he arrived. And so when he arrived, he was like, oh my goodness, different culture, of course. And so he wanders up to the front and then they ply food upon him and he said he couldn't leave until he'd been force-fed. And uh, when, when he left, um, they come out to the car and they start, they start asking him to pop his boot. So he pops his boot and they're pouring all this food into the boot of his car, pork and chicken and ham and fruit and vegetables and all this. And he said, you know, he sort of felt like this and he drove off his car like this, you know. But, but that's the nature within that Polynesian community of honouring and blessing people. And I know the times that I've been on Marae in, uh, in New Zealand here, um, just how humbling it is to be put in a place of, um, of honour. Um, the last few years, I w- I've been attending the Ratana celebrations with the Ratana Church every February. And it's a, it's a big deal. And when I was the Baptist National Leader, um, they would make provision for us. And I atten- attended a 100th anniversary celebration uh, last November there. And so I come on and um, come on to the Marae Welcomed. And then they said, look, we've got some other guests coming. We'd like you to sit at the front of the Pai Pai with us as we welcome these other guests. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll just do whatever I'm asked to do. And, uh, and then I look up and it's the Prime Minister and the Minister of the Opposition, uh, Leader of the Opposition, Simon Bridges, coming on to Ratana. So here I am standing beside the Ratana elders, uh, welcoming Jacinda Ardern and Simon Bridges and their entourage onto the Ratana Marae. And I'm like, Man, I just don't feel worthy to do that sort of thing, but they have honoured me with that opportunity. And I think that's something that uh, is really very, very biblical about what's going on there. It's something where they have taken uh, quite literally this idea of honouring people and putting it, in, putting, putting it into their culture in a very, very important way. Um, some years ago now, I went up to Papua New Guinea um, with two guys, David Graham and... Grant Wakeley. And the whole reason for going is that we were going to be ministering to some pastors up in the highlands, um, right in the middle of nowhere outside of Mount Hagen. And so it was very, it was very cool, actually. We were, we were really uh, well received and we had a great time. But the unique thing about ministering up there is that when we had pastors' conferences, the pastors would come and they would be accompanied by two or 300 other people from their congregations. So it wasn't sort of a closed shop deal at all. Uh, we, were, we were the event. We were the biggest happening in the, in the Wagi Valley at that time. And um, after a few days, I said to Grant and David, I said, what I see time and time again is that these pastors have got the wrong idea of leadership. Um, they think that they're there to be served, not to serve. And I said, somehow we've got to break this because it's almost like a spiritual thing, a cultural thing that's being wrapped into servant leadership or into, sorry, Christian leadership. And so I remember one evening we were running this uh, leadership event for the pastors and uh, no electricity, just a generator running some dim lights and about 300 people and these pastors all sitting in the front. And we invited all the pastors up front 
and we, we decided that we were going to wash their feet. And so we washed their feet for them and gave a living example of what servant leadership looked like. I tell you what, washing the feet of um, Papua New Guineans is quite quite an experience. I mean, these guys don't wear shoes at the best of times. You know, the tread on their the tread on their soles of their feet was anything that would be you'd be proud of at, of at Bow Repairs or Bridgestone, honestly. And uh, and their toenails look like sprigs to me. And so here we were washing these guys' feet and drying them, and they were in tears. And so was so were the people watching. You know, because we, the, the Palangis, we, the white guys, had, had, had put ourselves in a position of being a servant. And for all the things that we probably said over that week, I suspect that was probably the biggest impression we left with them. Well, we trust it was anyway. Because, you know, it's a very powerful thing to put yourself in a place of uh, serving others like this. One of the things about this event that happens in the upper room is that um, it's actually... We, we look at it and say, this is all about Jesus teaching about the Last Supper. Uh, he, he leads this meal and he demonstrates that he's going to uh, have to shed his own blood and there's going to be the cost of his own body on the cross. But the two symbolic events that happen in this upper room are foot washing and the demonstration of the Lord's table. And I think this is a really important part of... Um, of this whole event that happens over these few hours because these two things go together. They're both acts of servanthood and they're both ways in which Jesus describes to his followers what leadership really, really looks like. Leadership within the Christian context is creating the best possible way to serve others, not to come across with some sort of sense of entitlement, not to be looking for something as a, a way of exchange. And... Um, I know for myself, I've, I've been really bothered over the last few years, um, particularly as I was circulating a little bit more amongst churches uh, in that role that I've had the last few years. Um, by Sometimes I, I pick up a real sense of entitlement by Christian leaders, you know, this whole sense in which they, they deserve to be honoured. And I'm like, well, you can't demand honour any more than you can demand love. You can't demand honour any more than you can demand respect. And um, it's really, really made me nervous about some of the thinking that I've seen and some of the ways in which some Christian leaders live their life as if they are there to be served, not to serve. Does it make sense? Yeah. And um, I, I just think it's something that needs to be challenged. I think it's something that needs to be addressed. And I'm not prepared to see it uh, grow in and around any of the circles that I'm, I'm a part of. It's... It's, um, it's the complete opposite to what it is that we see in Jesus' own life and Jesus' own demonstration. And I know that there are scriptures where the Apostle Paul talks about the teachers that are amongst you. You should treat them with double honor, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that was a very isolated point in time where in the likes of the Corinthian church, the leaders were disrespected. So Paul was saying, hey, listen, think of them in a positive way, you know. But you can't take a, a scripture that says treat people with double honour and have that completely write off this demonstration that Jesus gives of servant leadership. Okay, the, the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. Jesus has already said this. So let's return to, to Peter. Let's return to how this interaction with Peter starts to now take place. 
because it's a uh, it's a fascinating thing which we will quickly identify with being Peter. Even if they didn't name Peter in this little part of the story, we would say that has to be Peter. You'll see what I mean. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. (laughs) So we can see here um, that Peter is, um, he's getting it, all right? But his response is pretty, Understandable, you know, like here, here is Jesus, this guy who's who he knows to be the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. He's he's the one who announced him as that. Okay, he knows who Jesus is, and so when Jesus has got this towel wrapped around him and he's washing the disciples' feet, Peter feels awkward about this. He feels awkward about it because it just feels like the wrong order. You know, it's that sense in which he should be serving the Master. He should be washing his feet. But Jesus is the one who takes on the role of a student. And so when, when Jesus turns to Peter and says, look, unless I wash your feet, you've got no part of me, he says, well, just give me a good scrubbing. You know, it's, uh, uh, some translations actually uh, interpret it a bit more liberally where they say, wash, Peter says, wash my whole body. You know, what he's saying is wherever you're going and whatever you're suggesting I'm in, I'll do whatever you want, okay, because I want to be yours and I want to serve you wholeheartedly. Um, so the scripture goes on to say, and Jesus answered, those who, have need, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. So this brings us to part of this foot washing event that I think is very, very poignant here. You see, it's easy to look at uh, the setting and say, well, you know, it was all a bunch of mates there doing their thing. But then you've got to throw in the Judas factor. The Judas factor. Because I can talk here about serving, honouring, blessing each other. And it's all very well until there's somebody's feet in front of you of the person who with those feet have stomped on your reputation or dislike you? Do you think Jesus got those feet and just bypassed them? No, he didn't. He still chose to serve the person who had given him grief or was about to give him grief. And and I think this is a huge, huge statement about Jesus' ministry. You know, here he is washing this guy's feet, and you would be think he'd be maybe thinking to himself, you know, within 24 hours, my feet are going to have holes in them, thanks to you. Now we know it was all part of God's big plan, but Judas was a willing participant in this. And as Christians, um, we can very easily go down this track of blessing those who bless us. You know, Jesus said, even the pagans loan money to those who will pay it back. Yeah, but you. And he goes on to explain how you should be different to that. 
And uh, you know, at a distance, it's easy to think that we'd we'd do really, really well. But you know, it's it's blessing those who don't bless you, quite simply, isn't it? You know, it's going to the family Christmas, and you know, you're the one who spends fifty dollars on a gift, knowing full well that I won't name any particular part of my, your sister or your brother, or your uncle, um, regifts the present they got from somebody down the road or goes to the two dollar shop. And you're going, you know what, this year, I'm not going to spend as much money on that gift because they never reciprocate. I think Jesus would say, just wash their feet. Just serve them based upon what you value, not how they value you. Yeah. What about the employee that you know is a bit of a slacker? You know, and it's wage increase time for everybody. And you're like, Ugh. you know, he's the guy that every time you walk into the office, somehow the screensaver appears on his screen. He's just gone off doing his own thing on Trade Me, probably. You know, he's the guy who never gets a sweat up when there's a bit of manual labor. He's always shirking when the toilets have to be cleaned. And, and it's a challenge, isn't it? To, to make these decisions. You know, I just, just on Friday, um, day off on Friday most of the time, and I had to go and do some chores. So um, Michaela gave me a list. I had my own list, and so I was racing around town trying, trying to do everything, as you do. And I was at the post office because I had to register the car. And um, I know you should do it online, but I always get confused, not confused, unorganized. Um, so here I am lining up there's this one, one guy operating the post office, you know, uh, must have been on break, and there was a queue of at least six people there. And I had this lady in front of me, and um, she was quite elderly. And so we're standing there. She goes in, and then she pulls the stuff out of her bag and starts to put it on the, on the counter. And she says, I want to send that to England, I want to send that to Australia, and I want to send that to Gore. And I'm looking at, going, oh, my goodness, you know, I've already been waiting 10 minutes. And I'm like, oh. And so she puts something on the, on the scales, and it's like the guy goes, well, to England, that's going to cost you $30. And she goes, really? $30? Well, can I send it by ship then? Oh, hold on. And so he puts it on. Oh, yeah, that'll cost you $20. 20 is it still $20, even if it's by ship? What say if I take something out of the package? And I'm like, oh, my God. And then she goes, Oh, that, actually, that wasn't meant to go to England. That's meant to go to Gore. So could you get that one there and weigh that one for me? And, you know, on the outside, I'm this picture of calm. On the inside, on the inside I'd be guilty of murder. <laughs> How many of you have been there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm glad that thoughts don't kill, yeah? But you see... We all have this challenge, don't we, when I talk about this Judas factor. You know, it's easy to be kind to those who are kind in return. But what we have been challenged to do, particularly in this respect, about those who are indifferent towards us or um, we don't necessarily like um, for some reason, God calls us to serve, to serve them. So here's the scripture, carries on. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? This is a really, really interesting thing, isn't it? Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. 
You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now what I, your Lord and teacher, now, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. So he's making it really, really clear. Guys, this isn't just about me washing your feet. This is me giving you example. And he asks the question, do you know what I've done here? Why? Because he wants them to take this away and repeat it again and again and again and again. And we ask ourselves, how does the kingdom of God advance? This is how it advances. This is how it advances. I I think the church is in a place where it has victory in the world when there are less feet to wash than there are hands to wash them. Does it make sense? We're called to be servants. We're called to be people who put others first every time. And that's the internal battle. That's the challenge for our ego because we all somehow, by our fallen nature, want to be served, not serve. And we can, we're going to confront this all the way along. In about four weeks' time, um, I'm heading over to, to Spain to do this pilgrimage trail that I've done before. I'm taking um, my daughter, Brittany, and Michaela's going to join us towards the end. Um, it's a fascinating place when it comes to feet. Because the biggest problem when you're doing these distances, 800 kilometers, is that people's feet get ruined. Now, I don't know how it worked out this way, but I have not had a blister once on the two times that I've done it. I just, by the grace of God, I got the right boots and I keep going back and buying the same pair because if it's not broken, don't fix it, right? But you walk into a a cafe, This, this will never happen anywhere else except on this pilgrimage trail. You walk into a cafe and there are a whole lot of pilgrims there and uh, somebody's got their coffee and they got their foot up on the table with their coffee and they're picking away at their blisters. And no one is upset by this. You know, you walk in, you throw your backpack down, you see the coffee up there, you see the foot and you go, ooh, nasty, nasty. And so as I prepare to go, I don't expect to get any blisters, but I'm putting aside a whole lot of stuff in my little backpack for other people's blisters. Because it's a really um, incredible thing to, to get alongside a complete stranger. Sometimes you don't even have the same language. Like Kiwis, we're a rarity on the Camino. A lot of Europeans, of course, different languages. And you just communicate with them that I want to take care of your feet for you. You know, and there's ways in which you drain blisters, there's ways in which you can patch things to, to move them forward and get them up and ready for the next day. And so it's, a, it's an incredible time of just being able to be a blessing to people. So going into the Camino, I don't expect to have blisters, but I go prepared for the sake of other people's pain that I might be able to serve them and be a blessing. I just want to be Jesus to the best that I can to the people that I meet. So Jesus keeps on re-emphasizing this passage and he finishes by saying this, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them.
What else can we say? <laughs> Seriously. The greatest amongst us is a servant. And the kingdom of God is established through acts of servanthood. And as a community, as we look around us and say, how can we advance the gospel? It's, it's quite simple. We just serve. We just honour. We just love. And we remember the Judas factor because that's where the greatest challenge is going to be, isn't it? When we are called to love those who are not going to love us in return. In fact, love those who might despise us for whatever reason, maybe even for being a Christian. As we, we love our neighbours by reaching out to them with whatever we can, our workmates, our families. As Jesus said, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we thank you that in Jesus we see this, this tremendous gift of strength. The strength to lay down the power, the strength to lay down the identity, the strength to lay down their rights, his rights. And for us, Lord, that indeed is that ongoing battle the need to be seen in the right place versus the washing of somebody's feet or the equivalent of that. And so, God, today we, we come and we remind ourselves that your way is the way of humility, not humiliation, but humility, putting others first. And may we capture that in our soul. May we capture that afresh. May we get a, a fresh wind in respect to this, Lord, so that when, we, when we're out and about doing our thing, we can spontaneously respond as servants to others. Sometimes people won't even understand why we do what we do. But we thank you, Lord, that we will be blessed because we do this. And we thank you, God, that you have made it so real for us in this demonstration of Jesus washing people's feet that we, we just can't escape what the Jesus way really is. Father, we thank you for um, the story. We thank you for how powerful this is for us. And we just ask, Lord, as we, we move forward, even as a church, with all these different things happening around us, and we're talking about buildings again, um, that in all these things we have in front of us, Lord, we can walk in humility. For those of us who are struggling right now with what I've called the Judas factor, Lord, I pray for grace. Give us grace. Help us to realize that when we serve those who are against us, then we're doing exactly what you did. That we walk in your footsteps in those moments. When we bless those who curse us, when we turn the other cheek, that's the Jesus way. So help us, Lord. Help us. We need your help. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.